you want to have an impact. You want to make a difference because that's who you are. And I think one of the biggest things that I want you to understand about the current situation you're dealing with is that it's probably not complicated. And I'm going to tell you what I mean by that, and it's going to change everything for you. That's what this show is about. Let's go. Hey, welcome to episode three of the podcast, It's Not Complicated, where I'm going to help you see and identify complexity in your organization and create a blueprint to activate change. I'm your host, Chris Anibro, back again, and I'm the head of organizational design and at Intentional Futures. And in this episode, I'm going to go more in depth with our culture design process so that by the end of this episode, you're going to have a clear overview of how we run our workshop and teach leaders how to design their culture blueprint. And I'm going to take you step by step through each element. So defining a foundation, which we call our fundamentals, designing environment, facilitating atmosphere. These are our building blocks. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be a great sneak peek into, I think, one of our coolest design sessions. So, but that's my personal bias. So I have to start by telling you a story of how our framework and how this workshop even came about. And I have to take you way back to the start of my career and how I used to think about culture, which I don't think was very structured at all. Actually, when I started my career, I was a high school teacher. Uh, and of course, all of my college courses leading up to that point were focused on teaching and learning theory. So I'm getting ready to become a teacher and you know, every, every course I'm going through is really focused on constructing content, you know, which, which made sense to me. Right. So, you know, when I first got my teaching job, I made, you know, these killer unit plans and I had my lesson plans and everything was mapped back to the state and district requirements. And I came into my classroom with all this great content, you know, it was like, I'm going to be a refreshing teacher. And of course I was super likable. Cause why wouldn't I be, I was young and I was friendly. And I had this open door policy and what happens? Many of my students weren't performing at the level that I was hoping they would. They struggled, you know, uh, for lots of reasons, but you know, they weren't always engaged the way that I, I hoped. And that was one of them. And, and so I saw, you know, what other teachers were doing. And so I was like, okay, fine. You know, these are veterans, these are seasoned folks. I'm going to try to copy them. They know a few things. And and I would copy how they were. And it just, it really didn't work. It wasn't my style and it, it didn't work effectively for me. And so I thought, okay, this teaching thing is way harder than I thought. And I think most people know the stats. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's not an easy profession, you know, so let's just start there. But, you know, I was thinking to myself, like, how am I going to change this? Uh, I, I came up with the idea of creating a poll and I was like, okay, fine. I'm going to ask students, you know, what they want to learn and what kinds of changes they want to see in the classroom. And yes data, you know? And so I made the changes, but things still didn't improve. And I was like, wow, you know, and, you know, my classroom wasn't bad. I was, you know, I was, I was a well-liked teacher and I was doing fine, but it wasn't where I wanted it to be. Um, and if there's one thing you should know about me is I, I'm pretty well-intentioned with most things that I do. And so, so, you know, I thought a lot about this and I was like, okay, fine. I'll, I'll try like some rewards, some recognition, some incentive, like who doesn't love that? Right. So I came up with cool ways to recognize my students and and things, you know, started to shift a bit, but it still wasn't getting at the level of engagement and the kind of outcome that I was really targeting. So, you know, after my first year, I was feeling a little sunk. And I, I know if you're thinking like, geez, Chris, like you're being pretty hard on yourself after one year of teaching, like there, there's a lot to learn, but this is where I was, you know, uh, and I was telling a friend about it, you know, and they were, they were inviting me to this training. They're like, they, they actually got me pumped. They're like, you gotta come to this. Like, so this teacher was a third year teacher. They're like, you're going to be blown away. 
I'm going back for a second time. And I was like, okay, what do I have to lose? You know, like I'll, I'll spend some money and spend some of my summertime on a, on a training, even though all I wanted to do is just like turn my mind off at that point. Uh, and this training did not disappoint. You know, I was introduced to a brain-based learning approach and, um, you know, a neurological way of, of actually thinking about learning that, that was very different. And it was an approach to designing a classroom curriculum and a culture that was 180 degrees different from what I had up to that point. And halfway through the training, I had this aha sitting there, you know, and, uh, you know, in the midst of all these people, all these teachers I didn't know. And I was, I was realizing like, I was trained to be focused on academic results and focus, you know, on my teaching. And all of my training was built around systems for teaching. So state and district goals and unit plans and lesson plans and assessment. When students weren't engaged, I would wonder like, well, maybe they're tired or maybe they were just too immature, you know, they're sophomores or maybe, you know, they're too ready to graduate if they were seniors. But I realized the problem wasn't really them, it was me. And so I put all my emphasis on teaching and didn't build my classroom experience around learning. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, I know that sounds super simple, but I was like, wow, that's, that's mind blowing. And so specifically, I didn't have a way to orchestrate the daily learning experience. I had a way to or orchestrate the daily teaching experience I wanted, but not the learning experience. And so after I learned that, it was like, oh my gosh, this is night and day. This is different. So my next year, I actually won teacher of the year. Thank you very much. My students were excited to be in my class, you know, and, and, and what I, it was exactly what I thought teaching would be like and what it was supposed to be like the, the level of engagement, the enthusiasm was like incredible, you know? And so I had colleagues who saw what I was doing and they were like, oh my gosh, that's incredible. Can you teach us how to do that? And I was like, sure. So I shared the frameworks and the concepts and the tools. And eventually, you know, I realized like, if I can do this for a classroom, I wonder if I can do this for a whole program. So I left teaching after three or four years and started leading educational programs and then teaching whole schools and then districts had to design their culture. And, and I could really see how the frameworks, the concepts and the tools were really fractal at each level. You know, you might be focusing on slightly different things, but the frameworks were the same. And so, you know, I, I was just beginning to, to travel nationally and I was helping schools around the country and these educational programs around the country design these great cultures and I was so like loving what I was doing and I got this offer to work in healthcare. And I was like, oh, okay. And, but it was kind of compelling, you know, it was a nationally known children's hospital and they were on this like, you know, cultural and improvement journey. I was like, well, this is kind of something I'm interested in anyways. So I'm going to go there and, and, and stay there for a year and learn it. And then kind of bounce out because healthcare is not my thing. And, and I got there and I stayed for 10 years, by the way, but I got excited since they were so innovative. But then realized like, oh my gosh, after being there for like three months, I was like, they have the same struggles. And I didn't think that they would because they're a business. This is different. This, this can't be. And I was meeting with the, the chief operating officer at the time. He was basically the president um, and next in line at the COO. And, and, you know, I was asking him, you know, like how important culture was to the success, success of the business and, and the hospital. And he's like, oh, it's the most important thing, Chris. And so, you know, so I asked like, so do you have a strategic plan? And he's like, well, of course we do. You know, you, you operate from it. And I was like, I know, it's a silly question. I'm going to assume you probably have a budgetary plan too. And he's like, of course. And, and I was like, well, do you guys have a culture plan? And he's like, well, you know, we've got a great HR team. We have our reward and recognition system. We have engagement surveys. And I was like, yeah, but most formal recognition systems only reach like maybe two to 3% of employees. Uh, is there a plan like, a system to reach everyone every day. 
And he looked at me and said, I mean, well, not consistently. And it was an eye-opening moment to realize I just came from a system where the focus heavily inside of education is on teaching instead of learning. And, and, and I know that's an assertion, but that's my experience. And it was at least, you know, 20 some odd years ago. And now I was in an environment where the focus was on productivity and reliability instead of value and value creation, which are, are very different things in my opinion. So I knew there was an opportunity to make a real difference. And I was an internal consultant leading the hospitals, lean and continuous improvement transformation. And as I help leaders change their structures and their processes to improve productivity or quality or safety and reliability, I would also teach leaders how to design their team cultures to improve engagement or connection or agility. And, you know, started to catch on, you know, and in these units I worked with saw their engagement scores rise and their productivity jump. But more importantly, they expressed the importance of being able to actually own constructing the environment they wanted to work in. And, and I realized this isn't just about designing a classroom culture or a school culture. Like this is a method for anyone designing an intentional human interaction. Like I was the guy all of a sudden that got sent to like the, the quote unquote trouble units, the resistors. And I was like, I don't think people are resisting uh, what's going on. I think they're responding. I think they're responding to inconsistencies, incongruencies, you know, and, and, and potentially injustices. And, and I think there's something that we can do that's different. So let me walk you through this design process that we use at Intentional Futures that, you know, is part of my own history. And I'll share what we what we do at a team level, since it's easier to explain, but remember it's a fractal process. So it's very similar, but we focus on slightly different things at let's say the organizational level, depending on the organization's size. But the approach that we take is very different than what I've experienced in most organizations and what they do. Um, you know, maybe it's not different than what you do. And if you don't, that's, that's fantastic. Let's talk, let's learn, let's, let's trade notes. But a common approach that I see organizations use to build culture follows this paradigm of assess, analyze, and action plan. And it's really borrowed from the old strategic planning model that assumes that an organization is mechanistic, like a wristwatch or a car engine, and that you can build and you can analyze and root cause and create a work plan to fix it. And this way of approaching change in organization, I think has been used for a very long time, you know, even change management um methodologies are built on it and it's so pervasive you can really hear it in the language that people use to talk about culture change they'll talk about driving change or analyzing engagement scores you can hear the way we're kicking things off we're on a journey we're pulling the levers of change and it's like no it's there's no destination here right while i think that these are really helpful metaphors i i really do they also i think reinforce this idea that culture change is a controllable process and it takes a complicated or cause-based way of thinking, and it assumes that it can be used for complex situations like community or culture building. And instead, in intentional futures, we assert that culture building or culture change is actually more like spilling a drop of milk into a cup of coffee. And I talked about this in my last episode. You can't control the pattern. You can't compartmentalize the effect. And once you've done it, the coffee is irreversibly changed, even if only slightly becoming a new version of itself, right? So you you have to continuously observe and adjust your response. So we still believe you can influence culture, but instead of taking an assess, analyze, and action plan approach, we assert that a more effective approach is to set up structures to continuously design, test, and adjust. But you can't just design unless you have a model to work from. 
So we introduce teams to our culture map and we have leaders design with their teams to construct the components of their culture that they want to see happen. And we start by exploring what we call the fundamentals. And the fundamentals for any team can include the primary or central beliefs and behaviors that their culture is based on. And these fundamentals describe the fundamental vision of how employees know what is expected of them, but also how to interact with each other. And when we begin to get these fundamentals on the culture map, teams learn really quickly if the ones they live by are actually agreed upon or, or desired or even congruent with the kind of workplace that reinforces who they are and what they do makes a difference. So, you know, if you're starting a team, this is really like visioning what the culture could be. If you have an existing team, you're opening dialogue around what things are currently like and how you want them to be. So we aim for, you know, fundamentals that are clear to everyone that are explicit and can be made visual. So that's really our goal. For example, I worked with a team that agreed on a core belief in behavior that everyone learns by doing, right? That everyone every week runs tests of change to make work even better. And to me, like, okay, that's very explicit. That's very clear. It's almost observable. So I can ask, great, what tests have you run this week? And, you know, how did it make things better for you, your customers, your stakeholders, the person next to you, right? I had another team get clear on one of their fundamentals, which they talked about as no blame, no excuse. Uh, and so when I asked, what does that mean? And they said, well, no person or team should be blamed for an inability to achieve a result. And each person or team should be able to share and show what efforts were made what they learn and what they're doing next to keep striving towards results. So again, you get the idea. It wasn't just some pithy slogan. At least they had it and they knew what it meant. And so we made it clear and explicit and that's great. And fundamentals are really important. And while some teams have some ideas, it's really hard to design for culture when these aren't clear and explicit. So that's why we start with fundamentals. Okay. After the fundamentals, we have teams begin to map the three most impactful and influential fundamental building blocks uh, that I found through research and through experience that typically enable or disable the culture that you're trying to build at the team level. These building blocks might look different at an organizational level or at a broader scope. And these building blocks are your atmosphere, your environment, and your team structure and processes to create and deliver value. So let me get into them. Everyone on a team contributes to creating a culture. But I believe, and this is my belief, that a leadership function is to actively nourish and grow it. And they're responsible for, for providing everyone the building blocks and the blueprints to do it together. Right? You can't just tell people to actively build culture. They will. You will because things just happen by default. But it's very different to be intentional about it. Like that's a piece of being a leader. So building block number one, facilitating atmosphere involves mapping three things at the team level. So this is us creating a, a, an ecosystem map or a model of your culture. And these three things are the rituals, routines, and storytelling. So let's start with rituals. Rituals are practices that are done with a deliberate intent and experienced by people as something that is special, I guess. Rituals have the value of making uh, abstract concepts concrete. So identities, goals, values, they'll make them concrete. They bring these abstract values or, or beliefs into daily practice by making them visible, um, interactive, and relevant to the work community. So let me give an example. 
team wins, uh, you know, roses and thorns, gratitude and recognition, milestone celebrations for birthdays or work anniversaries. These all give team space um, to really make, you know, the value of, of having people there, of, of being connected to each other, of, you know, gratitude come to life. And so we give team space to identify what rituals do they have in place already? Uh, and then we have them evaluate which of these fundamentals um, actually amplify and reinforce, oh, I'm sorry, which of these rituals reinforce the fundamentals. Uh, and that's what's really important. And so teams often learn two things in this exercise as they're taking a look at their model. They learn, okay, wow, do we even have rituals? And if we do, um, are they effectively reinforcing the fundamentals? So maybe they need to redesign some or they don't engage in their rituals with enough frequency. So they happen sporadically or only once a week or only when John is around, right? Because that's who John is. And, you know, they aren't really effective at influencing the daily experience. They're not seen as a team ritual. So, you know, when teams realize this, we have them design some rituals that they want to test. And, and it's fun because we have a booklet full of rituals. We have like 50 rituals that we've gathered from a variety of teams that we love to help uh, teams think about and stretch like what's possible and what's already been done. But we also give them space to try storm and create some of their own. So that's the first part, uh, our rituals. And so rituals is, is one piece of atmosphere. The next one is routines. And, and routines are practices that, that people, so employees and leaders engage in to accomplish work. Uh, so it could be routines for running meetings or how you make decisions or how do you audit psychological safety, et cetera. And if, you know, we say everything speaks, everything sends a message, your rituals, routines send a message and they either say it's safe to speak up and test your thinking here, or they say, you know, it's not safe to fail. So only speak up if you know you're going to be right. Uh, and since everything speaks, we want to make sure that everything is on purpose. This design session is about being on purpose with what we want to reinforce. And those are the fundamentals. So, for example, we teach this concept called respect the risk. It's a leadership routine to facilitate the atmosphere, and it's commonly used in meetings. And we teach that the greater the risk someone has to take, whether it's real or perceived, the smaller the action you want them to take. This is true when you're teaching classroom. This is definitely true inside the boardroom. So, for example... If you've ever asked a question in a meeting and no one responded, you probably asked a question where people felt unsure about the level of safety in the room to share their thinking, whether it was real or perceived. And in that instance, we call that big risk, right? So if there's big risk, you want small action. And so a small action could be, let's reflect individually for the next 30 seconds and then we'll come, uh, you know, we'll, we'll come back together with some initial thoughts. So that's something that you could say. Another small action that we, you know, teach leaders is, okay, turn to the person next to you uh, or I'll assign Zoom rooms for pairs and take 60 seconds just to unpack your thoughts on this question. And then we'll come back and have a larger group conversation. Either of those routines give people a smaller and safe to fail space to participate that builds their thinking and their sense of safety to participate and engage more fully. So that's really important, right? So again, we have teams examine their core routines for their common work experiences and assess, okay, do we have standard and consistent routines in place for running meetings, for, you know, um, facilitating meetings, for facilitating decision-making, et cetera? Do they reinforce and amplify the fundamentals? And then finally, how well do they reinforce them? Like, what's the frequency of use and scope? So, again, you can, you can see there is an assessment and a design opportunity here all at the same time. 
And again, we, we, we teach, you know, these routines um, around meeting and decision-making facilitation, and then we give teams space to try storm and create their own. So it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, teams are always really active and trying to figure out like what works for them and what could they do even better. And then the last part of atmosphere is storytelling. And I'm not going to go into this today, but I'll, I'll say this. 99% of teams, this is my, this is my data. This is Chris's data. 99% of teams do not have adequate storytelling embedded into their daily experience. And in storytelling, you know, this is just truth. Storytelling is this cultural activity used by every, I mean, I don't care if you speak with your mouth or with your hands, whether you have figured out language um, verbally or orally or written or through picture, every, this is, you know, substantiated so far through anthropology, every human community uses storytelling to entertain as well as convey and instill values and moral codes, right? So stories that elicit emotion have the ability to connect people to each other, to ideas and to a common vision of the future. We had Ginger Hartage on um, a podcast we did earlier and Ginger, you know, really hit home the idea at Southwest Airlines. Ginger was the former vice president of culture and, and communication there that storytelling is the bedrock. Uh, and, and instead, uh, she's right. What, what I find in teams and organization are lots of communication channels, which are good, but they're not storytelling. So we introduce ways to design for this as well. So from atmosphere on our map, we move to environment. So this is the building block of environment and an environment building block has two really important elements. It is, um, it is, it involves artifacts and then the physical or virtual space. So let's talk about artifacts for a second. Artifacts are, are things that we look at and we have teams map, you know, if the fundamentals that they have are visual, let's start there. So you say you have these individuals like no blame, no excuse. Great. Are they visual? You know, are people reminded of them? Um, you know, it sounds silly, but are they on your lanyard or badge? You still have those. Are they on, you know, um, the walls? Are they on background screens? Are they on stickers on people's computers? Whatever. Are there stories or pictures of how we live them through our rituals or routines and storytelling? Are there quotes that reinforce what we believe, right? Like, you know, acknowledge every effort, you know, if it's worth learning, it's worth celebrating. I don't know. These are cool quotes I've heard along the way, right? So. We've had teams rethink how they use virtual backgrounds or how they use virtual collaboration spaces such as Miro or even how they set up their home offices, if possible, to reinforce the fundamentals, depending on what their work situation is, as much as possible. And teams are also thinking about their environment, right? If it's the physical space, is it laid out to encourage collaboration or creativity or reflection, depending on what it is that they find that's needed? And and if it's a virtual space, are the tools and platforms people use, as well as the hardware reinforcing the fundamentals? And if it's not, what are the options that they can think of to rethink what can be done, right? And, and sometimes that one's a little bit trickier because it might involve, you know, the expenses and, and what's out there and, and, you know, some of the constraints of the, their IT infrastructure. But I'll, I'll stop there. Um, and what I, I, everything I'm sharing up to this point might sound like a lot, but I want you to consider two things. Like what, first, what's the impact if you don't do this? You know, in the absence of being on purpose, you get a default system that creates a default culture that you no longer have influence over and can lose people in the process. You might've actually experienced that. And two, even though it seems like a lot, like we take 
each one of these building blocks step by step and involve teams to construct and own the design and tri-storm process so that they have rituals, routines, storytelling, artifacts, environmental changes that are created, that are, are tested and are ready to implement um, immediately, which I think is really cool. And remember, this is, this is dropping milk into coffee, right? So we, we can't control it. We have to create a model and design what we want then test and observe, then keep adjusting. And we have to teach people how to do this. And we can't control the change, but we can be on purpose with it. And we can create a structure to learn really quickly and adjust what works, what doesn't, and what to try next. And that is really the power of this process. So that's it, step-by-step. Step. Okay, last we examine team structures and processes to create and deliver value. This one is admittedly a longer journey not to go in in this podcast because we're moving from the realm of practices and routines to processes, which involve more people and more resources. But, you know, typically in these sessions, we do start by mapping core leadership processes that reinforce the fundamentals. And this is very doable to begin taking some action on. So some of those processes include your team's annual goal or strategy execution process, to use those, those words, your cross-team or daily management processes, or maybe your project management processes. Those are all what I would consider leadership processes, different than a work process, like how you actually finish tasks. And so the routines and practices that make up a cross-team or daily management process, for example, might include, you know, daily huddles. It might include stand-ups, uh, which may have a standard agenda. Maybe you have a team board. Maybe you have team metrics. Uh, uh, maybe you have a, a board that displays major blockers or obstacles. Maybe you have some kind of board or visual for ideas that you're testing. And again, we assess if these processes exist. That's the first thing that we're mapping and seeing whether or not they exist. Then we find out like, if they exist, do they reinforce and amplify the fundamentals? And if not, you know, what might be missing? And, and finally, we see, can we embed rituals and routines and, and artifacts into these processes? Because again, we're not trying to create more. We're trying to figure out how these things all work together. So for example, <laughs> when teams are talking about problems, you know, are we making them visible on a board? Are we just talking about them? Are we celebrating taking risks? You know, so as part of the agenda, like, I'm so glad you're bringing up this issue. Let's, let's put it out there so we can actually think more about it and understand like how, how we can actually tackle this. Are we encouraging creativity by soliciting ideas to test, right? So, oh my goodness, we've seen this issue before. Does anyone have ideas of how we could do this differently? I would love to test something this week, right? Um, are we celebrating the learning that comes from testing those ideas? Uh, are we respecting the risk, right? Uh, and giving teammates and, uh, and folks time and space to get their thinking framed so they can come up with ideas and ideas that they want to put forward. So all of these things. I've watched teams that were engaging in lean or agile transformations have big ahas once they realized that they introduced, for example, um, brand new management systems and tools, but didn't connect their rituals and routines to any fundamentals. Uh, they just focused on implementing the set of tools and thought like that would be powerful enough and wondered why folks were resisting the change, but didn't consider what people were responding to, which were the messages that the new change was sending, right? So everything speaks. All right. So just to give you an idea, you know, we walk through again, the fundamentals, atmosphere, environment, you know, the, the structures and team processes for value creation or, or delivery, depending on what your team is doing. 
Day one of the session is mapping. It's creating this model. It's interactive. It's fun. Teams are learning a lot. Uh, and they're seeing where they have gaps in their building blocks and, and what impact it's creating. And it, it's, it, the conversations are rich and, and, and it's really validating, I think, for a lot of folks. Day two is design and try storm or testing. This is so cool. We're introducing new rituals, but teams are prototyping their own new rituals, their own routines, their own artifacts and practices, and they're testing them out on each other and refining them so that when they exit the session, they're ready to use them to embed them into their daily experience. And finally, teams like walk out of this, if you will, with, with this map, uh, this model, this process that helps them communicate and align with their teams back you know, in the office and on what they need to keep working on and co-creating to build the culture that they they really want because this is ongoing work. So, okay, <laughs> I'm out of breath. We covered a lot. And I just want to thank you for hanging with me today on this episode. Lots of juicy nuggets, I hope. That's it for this episode. We've reached the end. I hope it was helpful. Never doubt what a cup of coffee can teach you. Uh, I think that's for sure. I want to, again, say thank you so much for listening. And remember, the challenges you're dealing with, they're probably not complicated, but they are likely complex. So let's learn together on how to navigate, navigate through them. All right. See you all next episode. Thank <laughs> you.